Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Talking Wealth, the show where the Wealth Within team are on hand to teach you how to become a more confident, competent, and more importantly, profitable trader or investor. Wealth Within was voted number three for stock market podcasts globally in 2018, so I hope you enjoy listening. We cover topics from trading to investing, as well as wealth creation to ensure you can achieve your financial goals. Because as we always say, lifestyle matters. As a global leader in stock market education, you can fast track your journey towards financial freedom by studying with Wealth Within. If you'd like more information about our government accredited courses or to listen to more Talking Wealth podcasts, head over to wealthwithin.com.au and click on the Talking Wealth podcast under the Learning Centre. Please note that the information in this podcast should not be considered personal financial advice. Hello and welcome to Talking Wealth. I'm Doug Gillen, the Chief Analyst here at Wealth Within. Hope you had a fantastic week. Um, you know, the market is looking interesting right now. I know, you know, I talked a bit about uh, on a previous podcast, um, well, not on a previous, on some of our YouTube stuff, sorry. Um, I get mixed up with YouTube podcasts, um, all the little things we do. Um, you know, I was talking about the coronavirus and saying I didn't think it'd have a, a lot of an effect on the uh, on the market, and and I still believe it's not going to have a lot of effect. I think, you know, in twelve months' time, two years' time, it'll just be a blip um, on a chart somewhere, and just like the all the other viruses, because it's not as really bad as some of the other viruses that we have, like SARS and some of the other things. But it will affect um, stocks briefly. Like uh, I know, I was, if I, if you do watch my YouTube channel, I had a chat with Jim Beach. Um, every Monday um, in the US on our and it goes onto our YouTube channel and that goes across radio stations in the US or I think 25 radio stations but you're saying you know how Apple expects the next couple of quarters to be affected um, obviously with iPhone productions etc and you, you're going to expect that because obviously if factories are closed but the, the thing is I, to me it's not to me to be worried about um, what's going on with the coronavirus because it's going to be a short-term blip on the whole thing because people in China the factories in China they're losing money if they're not operating people who work in those factories are not getting wages if they're not working so you know there's a whole range of people working on solutions to help to get manufacturing back up include I'm not obviously the Chinese government wants exports imports to happen because it's costing the country a lot of credibility but it's also costing them a lot in money so um, it's really about tightening all that up and getting things happening again and uh, one thing i know about human beings is we have this un- amazing ability to adapt we really do it doesn't matter what happens we just adapt um, and so whilst the market is being pushed around a little bit it's not unusual. Um, as I said, I, as I keep saying, I have been expecting a market to fall away a little bit into you know March, finding a, a yearly high in February, March, and starting to fall away. That's what's happening. And yes, everybody's saying it's the coronavirus, but not all companies are going to get affected. There's only some getting affected, like tourism, um, or some sectors, sorry, are getting affected, like tourism. But there are other sectors that will pick up, like local tourism rather than international tourism will pick up. You know, whole range of different services. So you just got to look for looking at opportunities. But not really the. I, I know the reason I put this in at the start of this podcast is I know you know it, this podcast is. I was going to say it's going out today as I'm recording it um, for our e news and up into iTunes. So it's very 
um, timely, um, but I really do want to talk about fundamental analysis. I've had a few people email me and said, oh, can you talk a bit about fundamental analysis? What's going on? Where do I find data? Do I trust the data? What data should I be looking at? Um, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I thought I'd you know, touch on those subjects. Obviously, you know, in our courses, our trading mentor course, and, and indeed our um, diploma course, we do talk about fundamental analysis and what to look for and how to find it and use the the, the calculations and everything else and simple stuff nothing too outrageous um, on that front but using things to find the best performing stocks and this is really what I want to talk about more so than the coronavirus excuse me my voice is a little bit croaky um, today <clears throat> been talking too much um, but it's a little bit croaky today but uh, hopefully I'll get right through the podcast but I did want to show you or talk to you about how what are you doing with fundamental analysis and how you find good stocks to buy um, but before I start talking about fundamental analysis, I will tell you that I'm pretty much a technical analyst. I'm a chartist. So if you want to distill what I do, and you know, easily 90% of the decision-making process that I have is technical, not fundamental. Whilst I still believe you need to put fundamentals into your process, um, fundamentals to really distill it down to the basic format tells you what you should be looking at not when you should be buying or when you should be selling. So I'll say that again. Fundamental analysis will only ever tell me what I should be looking at, not what I should, when I should be buying it or when I should be selling it. It won't tell us that. And part of the reason of that is it's too slow. It's very, a lot of it is historical um, and it's what it should be. And um, if you've been listening to my podcast long enough, you'll know that the mood of the market is what drives it, not necessarily the underlying fundamentals of it, if that makes sense. So it's the emotions of the market. If we think that's how booms and busts work, you know, you've got companies like Uber, who's never made a profit, skyrocketing, never made a profit. So fundamentally, that's a CRAP stock because it's not ma- it's not making a profit. But why are people, and it's never made a profit, so how can people be still buying the stock to take it higher when it's obviously not worth that much, if that makes sense? So it's our, it's our mood or our psychology that pushes things. If we think we can make money on something, we'll keep buying it like Bitcoin, okay? But if we're fearful of it, we'll keep selling it and we oversell and overbuy. And it's like an elastic band, or a rubber band. I suppose probably the better analogy is: remember when you were a kid, you had one of those bats with a, a rubber, a rubber ball. Uh, sorry, a ball and a rubber piece of rubber string or whatever you call it between the bat and the ball, and they were attached. And you keep hitting the ball up like a table tennis bat. And the game was to keep hitting the ball up in the air, and it'd spring back to your bat, and you'd swing it up. That's what like fundamentals and uh, is around the stock price. So the bat being the intrinsic value of what a stock is worth. And the ball is where we go as our emotions move up and down with the market. So we buy more stock, don't buy more stock, sell it, buy more stock, oversell it, buy more stock, oversell it. That's how we do it. So so it's like a rubber a band around it. So if you did a linear line up a chart, you would find the stock price of Weaver a, a certain percentage above it and a certain percentage below it all of the time. So what do you look for? Looking at fundamental analysis, there's a few different things. First step is always, if you go and buy my book, Accelerate Your Wealth, you know the first step is always to plan what are you going to do. So it's about looking at the portfolio style that you want. Do you want a more medium to longer, uh, medium term portfolio, longer term portfolio, shorter term portfolio? And don't mistake thinking that short term portfolios make far more money than long term ones. They don't necessarily. It depends on the education and skill of the person and they take a lot more work. So sometimes the return on investment or the return on effort 
is not there. Um, whereas medium to longer term, you can often get a lot better results for a lot less work, a lot less stress. Um, and the law of pounding, compounding can kick in, another, but that's probably a, a subject for another podcast. Hey, uh, but looking at the, as I said, look at what the style, because once you understand what portfolio you want to create, then you, look at, then you can narrow down the stock field. You know, the Australian uh, All Ordinaries Index has 500 stocks. You don't need to look at that. You don't need to fundamentally screen that many stocks. So if you're looking at, say, for a medium-term portfolio, the top 100 stocks is more than enough for you. So you section it down just to that and go, okay, now I'm going to trade medium term so that's roughly 18 months plus you know sort of sort of three months to 18 months possibly even up to two years so what i mean by a medium term is somewhere like three months to 18 months plus you know some type to two years roughly but generally short term i have is one to three months or zero to three months and then from three months to 18 months is more medium term over 18 months starts to get into that long term type strategy i know with trading i don't i mean I, the longest trade i do is would be two years max but most of our trades are sort of 9 to 13, 14 months roughly in that bracket depending on the style of the stock how big it is um, how volatile it is and obviously the market conditions but when you're looking at the top 100 stocks it really is if you've got a medium portfolio that's all you need and if you want to section it down to the top 50 that's perfectly fine too it's even better um, especially if you don't have a lot of knowledge on the marketplace but narrow your focus down not do the other way and I find a lot of people do the opposite they go oh I want to look at the US market I want to look at all this you know um, I want to look at all the 500 stocks and how do you find the stocks to buy narrow down your, your focus and this is really what we teach in our courses like our trading mentor but more much 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 more so in our diploma courses how to target things and it's like um Probably one I might say to you is if I gave you a bow and arrow and said, shoot it, you're just going to go where? But if I give you a target, you go, okay, now I can shoot it. You point it at the target and you shoot the arrow. Same sort of process. So if I'm saying to you, just trade, you go where? Buy a stock or what stock? Okay. But if I say I only trade the top 20 stocks, now you've got a target. It's a lot more efficient and a lot more effective for you. So this is really what I'm saying is you don't need to chase the market. You need to lead what you're doing. So... How does fundamental analysis fit into all of this? So once you have your portfolio style that you want to create, then you um, you might want to put dividend yields into that. So And we'll talk about that in a minute. But you might say, I want to uh, get a return of 15% per annum, including dividends or 15% per annum plus dividends, but roughly what that is. And then you'll find some stocks that will suit that. But where we look at fundamental analysis now to find it, um, most brokers will have some form of fundamental um, fundamental analysis on their website um, or in their broker account. So you might, let's say with Comsec or something like that, they'll get their feed from somebody like Bloomberg or Reuters or somebody like that, uh, and they'll have some numbers there on EPS dividend yields, um, PE ratios. They might even have other different ones like return on equity, um, debt to equity ratios, all sorts of other different things. But the couple that we need to look at is really remember I'm saying is 80% of trading is is um, or sorry 90% of my trading is technical and 10% is fundamental but it's also looking at the as I said the style of the portfolio what the outcomes you want to get but given you know, only 10% is really fundamental there's only a couple of aspects of fundamental data that we really need because when we're buying and looking for um, when you're buying a stock you're, the first thing in your mind is before you buy it is I want this stock to grow that's the number one thing so we're looking for growth we're not looking for people the stocks that go sideways or down we're looking for stocks that are increasing in price so we just narrow our fundamentals down from that but then the Again, the second criteria could be you want some dividend yield. So there'll be another criteria placed on the fundamentals. But looking for gross stocks means you're looking at earnings per share or EPS. 
as it's called. And if you don't really understand earnings per share, just Google it, go EPS into Google, and Google will give you a pretty generic answer, or Wikipedia will, or Investopedia, or something like that will, um, from that point of view. But you're looking for earnings per share, because what you're looking for is future earnings, and not past earnings. So you want to see earnings of a company grow. If earnings of the company is growing, then it's going to get more value, because this is important, and, and where people get confused with fundamental analysis is they look at market capitalization. Market capitalization will tell you how big the stock is. For example, if a stock has 1 million shares on offer and they're a dollar each, so they actually have 1 million shares in that company that's available to be traded, uh, well, it's available, basically, and those shares are $1, then the, share, that in, the value of that stock in terms of market capitalization is $1 million. However, its intrinsic value may be completely different like I was saying earlier, if Uber, it's not making money. So if it's not making money, it's losing money. If it's losing money, how much is it worth? But Uber's, you know, obviously got offices. They've also got all sorts of manner of um, uh, revenue streams. They've got cost bases. They've got asset bases, all that sort of stuff. But even the local, you know, local, a smaller company has the same thing. So what, what are they, what's the stock they're holding? You know, what's their revenue? What are their costs? What's their balance sheet saying? So what's their assets and liability statements say? What is their, what is their profitability? So are they making money and how much is the physical assets of the business? So it might have desks, it might have phones, it might have computers, it might have stock, it might have what is the value of that and what is the value they might have buildings and property and plants and equipment and everything else so they add all that up and go okay that's all worth x dollars okay now it's generating this much revenue at this much profit so the profit uh, is that profit sticky or not so what i mean by sticky or not is when you're looking at let's say financial services and you're getting people that have things like their superannuation that's called sticky because people don't transfer their, their superannuation very often so the revenue stream from the fees that they charge are what they call sticky so you might get a multiple um you can to value a business you might multiply let's say you get a million dollars in sticky income the multiple of that might be four. So they might value that company at $4 million plus the hard assets, if you get my point. But if it's non-sticky, like it's like one person buys one product and then you never see them again, um, that's a non-sticky revenue stream. So they might discount it saying, well, instead of giving you four times a multiple on a sticky um, um, revenue stream, they might give you 0.5. So if you if you turn over a million dollars, they might say, well, it's worth half a million because it's not sticky. But whatever that valuation is, that valuation is completely separate to what it's trading at on the marketplace because the marketplace is about our perception of a company and what we think it will do into the future, not what it is today. So so that million dollars or million shares trading at a dollar, a million dollars, that company could be worth half a million dollars based on its assets, liabilities, profitability, etc., or it could be worth $2 million. You don't know. It just depends on our perception of that. So when we look at the fundamental criteria, we look at earnings per share, as I said, and what I want to see is earnings growing into that future and that one, two and five year earnings growing depending on the style of portfolio that we're doing. So what I'm looking for for medium term is one to two years out. So if, um, for whatever our earnings is and I want double digit earnings growth. I don't necessarily like single digit earnings growth because single digit means it's just going to plot along. If you want double digits, it's going to grow a little bit faster. So you want double digit, but you also want the, the those double digits to grow from year on year. So you want to see the earnings per share um, in the next 12 months be greater than the last 12 months and you want to see it in two years time greater than one year's time so it's growing and that means the share price theoretically should grow with that doesn't always happen but you've got a higher probability of that so look for double digit earnings growth 
and look at one to two years for more medium-term portfolio. And again, all this stuff's in my book, and obviously we do teach it um, in our courses in a lot more detail than all that. Second criteria that you need to look at is PE ratios, and you've probably heard about PE ratios. I think they're way overused, like dramatically overused. Um, PE ratio, 20 or under. Really, there's sort of a general rule of thumb, 20 or under. Um, P ratios is the price to earnings ratio, and it's more of an historical figure rather than a projection uh, or, or a future um, one like the earnings per share is. So P ratio, I rely on a lot less. Um, and if it was one that I would throw out, it would be the P ratio. But I know the big in the financial industry use the P a lot um, to work out whether they say the P is this, so it's under or overvalued. But it's a little bit harder to do it that way because a P ratio in one industry or one sector could be completely different to another. So you're looking at the average P of the All Ordinaries Index stocks in there is not really going to help you as much to looking at the P of an individual stock in an individual sector. So, but general terms, under 20 um, would be considered undervalued. Over 20 is considered roughly overvalued, but be able to be careful there. Um, but look at the P ratio of that company, but look at it in ratio in relation to other stocks within that same sector. So let's say you're looking at the material sector and you're looking at BHP Rio, Fortescue, and you go, okay, you know, EPS is good on BHP, it's good on Rio, EPS is good on, not as good on, on um, Fortescue, so BHP and Rio, who's got the better P ratio? So therefore you would look at that. But then you look at other stocks within that sector and say, well, what are their P ratios and what are they compared with BHP and Rio? Depend, so you're looking for that sort of stuff. So there's the second criteria you look at. Third one is dividend. And dividend's always the last one. And, and I know there are people out there that want to dividend invest and buy stocks because they pay high dividend. It's no use going for high dividend if your stock's plodding along doing nothing or going south. And it's really not. Uh, always, 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 always go for EPS and growth first. Um, and dividend second because you'll always find good stocks that pay good dividends that have good EPS growth uh, or projected EPS growth rather than just pick on dividend first and all too often I see people put pick stocks based on the dividend first and everything else last that's the last thing I ever look at so average dividend yield in Australia somewhere around three and a half four percent roughly so uh, not all stocks will pay dividend uh, and not all stocks will pay a dividend at that those levels, some will be lower, some will be higher. Banks at the moment are tending to be a little bit higher. Um, other stocks are a little bit lower. Uh, more volatile stocks are tend to be lower, like good growth stocks like your BHPs, your Rios, your Fortescues will generally pay less because they're putting some of their money, the earnings, into building the company and buying more assets, whereas higher dividend yielding stocks tend to do less of that. Um, so more so the banks. Uh, don't do a lot of acquisitions and those sorts of things and expanding so therefore they put more money into dividends it doesn't necessarily make them as good a growth stock but it makes they can still be a good growth stock and pay a good dividend as well so do that third um, but as I said again if you're in the growth phase of your portfolio go for growth all the time the only way I'd probably put dividends a little bit higher up on the scale is if you're a retiree and you're not so worried about good growth but you're worried you want to get that nice income stream for example Telstra is a bit of a little bit of a plotter a lot of the um, property stocks are a little bit more plotters rather than sprinters um, but they can pay some good dividends just for the nature of property it's, you can't easily buy and sell assets in that area um, in terms of the companies themselves. 
Um, and so therefore they, they tend to be on a much more steady rise rather than more spectacularised like some companies. So looking earns per share, look at dividend yield, look at PE ratios um, for your fundamental data. Uh, as I was saying a little bit earlier, you can go to your broker's websites often um, like like um, Comsec and you'll be able to get fundamental data. What you will find is there's a lot of inconsistencies in fundamental data between brokers and all providers. Um, I'm not sure why people have asked me why is that and I go, I don't know, you'd think it should be the same, but it's not. And that's why I prefer being a technical analyst. Uh, and the main reason is, is when you're a technical analyst or a chartist like I am, the data comes direct from the stock exchange into my charting package. So if a stock trades at a price, it comes in through my data. And that's how it works. So there's no nobody, no human being interpreting that data before it gets to me. So it's clean, unadulterated fact. It tells me the stock prices and the high and the low and the open and close for the day or whenever, whatever the time period I'm looking at. So I can see what the market is thinking about that stock in terms of its price. What is the market value in that stock today, this week, this month, this year, this last 10 years? I can see how the market is continually priced in all the fundamental data and all the economics into it and all the thinking in of the whole masses of the mood comes into that price chart or that bar chart or that candlestick chart, whatever chart you use. It's there. And so because it's not interpreted by anybody else, it's not fuzzy. It's clear. It's black and white. Then it's up to me to interpret that. And that's really where that skill lies in being a technical analyst. You can actually look at a chart and know pretty quickly whether the stock is bullish, bearish, whether, you should, whether it's easy to trade or hard to trade, etc., etc. Uh, and so that's why it's a real heavy part of my trading is to do technical analysis and small part is fundamental so the fundamentals will tell me what to look at so i might do a fundamental screen it might give me 30 stocks that look good fundamentally and then i can narrow it down to three or four stocks pretty quickly technically okay yep this is still going down that's still going down that's still going down that's going sideways that's going down oh that one looks like it's finding support going up so i can screen those fundamentally first and then technically there so looking at your data as i said why is it inconsistent i don't know it just is um but from different providers so we, I generally would prefer stuff, my data from, or looking at fundamental data, getting it from places like Morningstar. Uh, you can subscribe to Morningstar, but expect if you're getting data for free, then it's not going to be fantastic. Because um, in life, you get what you pay for, and uh, there's, and in, in, if you pay nothing, then the value to you is nothing. And so, therefore, they're giving it away for free for a reason. It's not that fantastic. Um, they're not having to put a lot of effort and time and cost into giving it to you, because why would they? It's free. So if you're getting it free from your broker, let's say Comsec, it's going to be reasonably good because you've got their account with them. They're charging you fees for brokerage and everything else. So they're giving you a benefit of giving you this data. But getting free data off the internet without going through a broker, it's not going to be fantastic. So please really do stay away from that. Um, as I said, you can subscribe to different services from Morningstar. A lot of the brokers will get and other data providers will get data from Reuters. Um, that's really expensive Reuters. Um, I've looked at that ourselves for our business and I went whoa I'm not even going to pay for our business it's so expensive the data it's very good data I don't have an issue with that but for cost benefit for our point of view being technical analyst getting all that fundamental data is just wasting a lot of uh, resource from our point and 
distracting us from what we do, which is technical analysis and, and charting and, and trading um, for our clients. So, but you will find some other data providers out there of fundamental data. There's some good companies that do put some fundamental research reports together. You will need to search for those uh, longevity there, and some of them will provide the fundamental data for you. But again, you need to have the metrics right, what you want to look for, the style of the portfolio, etc so that you put it together to suit you. Um, but again, when you get somebody analysing something and giving you opinion, bias happens. And yes, I'm in that basket, uh, or in that basket, I should say, because I'm an analyst, and when you ask me about a stock, you're asking my opinion. As soon as you, I give you my opinion, I'm giving you my biases based on my knowledge, experience, and my beliefs, etc., etc. So you're going to have to filter through that. Um, and so, therefore, I would always suggest to you look at the biases of that of the pl- person or the place giving you that data. So, for example, uh, when I first started investing, I used to. Um, uh, I used to work for Westpac many, many, many years ago, and so I set up an account with Ord Minute, which um, Westpac used to own. Uh, well, I don't think Ord Minute's around again now at the moment, but maybe it still is. Um, but I used to go to Ord Minute, and I know, and then I used to, when I first started helping people a lot with their investing and trading and their wealth creation, I used to see up to a couple hundred people in my office every single month. And anybody that was trading with or had accounts with Ordminute always had Westpac in their portfolio. I knew that. Because as soon as I say, oh, so have you got shares? Yes, I do. Um, oh, who's your broker, Ordminute? I go, okay, you got Westpac. And they go, yeah, how do you know? I said, because everybody did. Okay, with JB, if they said JB Weir, I knew it was National Bank. It was always in there. And so they have their biases. And so if you go to AMP, then you're going to get a bias to AMP products um, and people they're associated with. So that's what you need to look at for when you're getting in this fundamental data and fundamental research is looking at those biases and then understanding that the biases exist. And then you filter through that and take what's usable to you. And this is where educating yourself, can't I can't stress that enough, educating yourself and understanding some basic um, of that fundamental analysis uh, to determine, again, what are you looking for for your portfolio? Get the target right, get the portfolio style right, get your watch list of stocks right, whether that's 50 or 100 stocks or whatever that is, get that right, then go and look at the metrics around your fundamental data. And then if you do what I do, then you'll start applying some technical analysis to it. So, and working on that but um, as I said really don't get too stressed about your fundamental data as I said it's going to be a little bit inconsistent between different providers find one that you value and that you can trust I prefer again paying for it Uh, if you don't want to pay for it just expect it's not going to be as fantastic as what paying for it is so um, as again you you know if if you pay peanuts you're going to get monkeys Um, it's as simple as that um, from that point of view but let's have a I just want to wrap up today and say look you know the market uh, I know I did start off this podcast saying you know with the market and what I think of it the market's still bullish even though we might have a fall down into a low which I've been expecting since late last year so it's nothing what's happening now is not nothing surprising to me so please don't make knee-jerk reactions educate yourself that the market does this if you're in the stock market expect stocks will fall expect that you're going to get stopped out if you have a stop loss it will happen from time to time not every stock you buy you'll make money on Um, the market doesn't always go up so just remember that pre-warned is prepared and that's really what i say to people so don't react prepare don't react prepare and i've been talking to people about the market peaking somewhere in february march and then coming down into the next low that's what it's doing right now and i've been saying this for a few months so that's preparing you 
to work. Now, I didn't say to exit all the time. I keep saying only exit when a stock tells you to exit. Don't exit just because you think something's happening. So, again, take it easy. The market will be bullish this year. The coronavirus will go and we'll forget about it in the year's time or whatever else. It'll just be a blip and everything will go back smoothly. So, um, take it easy with your with your portfolios right now. Be kind to yourself. Educate yourself. If you haven't got my book, Accelerate Your Wealth, It's Your Money or Choice, go to the bookstores, get it online, Amazon, our, our website, get it on, have a good read, start trading and investing the right way. You've been listening to Talking Wealth. I'm Dale Gillen, the Chief Analyst here at Wealth Within. Have a great week. Take care. Thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you by Wealth Within, a global leader in stock market education. For more information on our courses or to listen to more Talking Wealth podcasts, head over to wealthwithin.com.au and click on the Talking Wealth podcast under the Learning Centre.